It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 28th. If it's a Tuesday, you know what we're doing on this show. We have another edition of Tennis Point Tuesday for all of you listeners, where we preview everything happening on the WTA and ATP Tour in any given week. Of course, if it's a Tennis Point Tuesday, you know who's joining me to talk about everything happening in the tennis world. It's our dear friend from Tennis Point, Nate Walrith. Nate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Fantastic, man. If it's a Tuesday, it's a Tennis Point Tuesday. Um, no complaints at all in the world. Life is amazing. Man, how are you today, bro? I mean, I, I already stressed. I get out all my venting before this podcast starts. So then when we get ready to start the show, it's it's all love, love, all love all over the place. I mean, you got no nothing bad to share right now. Life is good. That's what I like to hear. Now, there's been like... I don't know, 25 tour-level events throughout the course of February. It just feels like we are back in the swing of things. It's always a pleasure, obviously, to get the chance to chat with you happening uh, about everything happening in the tennis world, of course. I also have to give a shout-out to you and the Tennis Point team, without whom none of these episodes would be possible. You guys support us day in, day out from the start. With that in mind, I do want to ask you, it's been a while since I've gotten an update on what you're rocking from a gear perspective, what fans should be aware of that's now being offered at Tennis Point. Of course, as we approach the Sunshine Swing, I know there are plenty of sponsors getting ready to roll out new kits, new rackets. What should we be aware of right now at Tennis Point? So, yeah, I mean, that's... Good place to start is there's been a ton of new products hitting the market. We'll kick it off with the new shoes. Is the Nike Vapors have been a, uh, a a pillar of the junior and pro circuit uh, ever since I think you and I were young. So the Nike Vapor Twos and the Nike Vapor Elevens have just hit the market. I'm my, myself a bigger fan of the Nike Vapor Elevens. Um, sorry if you heard that. Someone just dropped a construction piece of equipment outside. I don't know what's going on out there, but uh, no. So we, the Nike Vapor 11s, beautiful colorway. A lot of players on the tour will be rocking those. Uh, I've noticed some guys have been swapping in between like Holger Rune has been going, he's, he's, he started with the 11s, but I think he's actually going to go with the Vapor 2s. Um, just a great shoe, great aesthetic, uh, very comfortable, great, uh, like very compared to the last Vapors, I think the, the durability is better. Um, and I just think the colors pop a lot. So I think it just looks, you just look like you're more in style out there in the court. You mentioned it. Nike Vapors have been a staple of tennis shoot'em for the duration of our lives. I think I've worn a Nike Vapor now for like 10 ish years, something like that. And I mean, not only do I think the shoes bring out the best of my athleticism, which there's not much left in the tank, but they still extract the most out of it. But yeah, you're going to look good on court wearing the swoosh on your uh, shoes. So it's certainly always exciting to see a new pair of uh, of colors, a uh, new color, excuse me, to the Vapors. What are we talking here? What's the scheme? It's like that pinkish, orangish, whitish. Um, if you guys have seen any of our so- content, Here's the thing. No, my only tangent about Nike shoes, and I'm worrying I'm – well, <laughs> maybe not in the leagues I play with, but you have to be good to rock Nikes. Like you can't be out there in Nikes and not performing at your best, whatever that best may be. So that's the other thing is I think Nike shoes hold you accountable. It's fair. And then I, I think another shoe that holds you accountable is the ASIC gel resolution. Ooh. The nines just dropped. The See, they're resolution. just sweeping the nation. I don't know if those are accountability shoes or just on-the-rise product. I have the gel resolution nines. I, I guess that I feel like they're becoming like the good, like if you talk to any of like the players that like, especially the European players that play college tennis, they all prefer ASICs. They don't want, they don't want Adidas. They don't want Nike. They want ASICs. And um, as Zach, Zach Thomas known as the foot doctor does great shoe reviews guys. If you guys don't check, if you guys don't know about him, check him out on YouTube. 
He's a huge fan of the new Cord FF3s, which is what Novak rocks, and then the Gel Resolution 9. Both are brand new releases, uh, super comfortable, great performance shoes, very durable, cool colorways, great lockdown. Can this like you can like those are shoes that you can slide on and just trust. Like if you're an aggressive mover, uh, and even if even for your recreational players, it's just it's a shoe you can trust. My mom herself rocks a pair of gel, resolu- gel resolutions, so you know it's a good shoe. But uh, yeah, I think the shoe game is strong right now. Inventory is good. And then lastly, we'll have to shout out the Wilson Pro Staff, the V14. Pro Staff X is, is, is another, they have a hundred square inch frame now with the Pro Staff, a new offering that they had never had before. As they look for a new face of the franchise with the Pro Staff line, you can look for Riley Opelka once he is back and healthy to be that guy. The Pro Staff is gold. As you guys have seen, Roberto Batista Goot has rocked it, Ons Jabur, and I'm trying to think if there's any other players that are rocking the, the Pro Staff. I, think, I know those two for sure, but that racket, uh, one of our our guys in Europe has been rocking the pro staff for a while. He just thinks that the update is significant and he's been a huge advocate of this. He's trying to get me to use the pro staff 100. Um, okay. Not a, not a frame that I've typically had um, tried before, but because he just raved about it for like a 20 minute rant, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try it out. Uh, hit a few balls with it the other day. It does feel clean and the looks are just the gold leather grip, clean look, classic Wilson. Um, and then the shift as well. If you guys have seen Wilson is just coming out firing it's the Wilson shift. Is that new white racket? Have you seen that at all? I think I have. Is it the zebra one? Yeah. It's got like the color bending. Yeah. Color yeah. Yeah. Shifting. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll be interested to see what player they get to try that out on the, on the sure. tour, but they, you got to put a face to the, to the franchise on all these lines. It feels like. Yeah, I know. I mean, the best is when you go to the head rackets and it's like the Chillich line, but you know exactly <laughs> the racket. You're like, oh, the radical, the one that Chillich uses, of course. Oh. Um, you're right. Is he, is he a radical or prestige guy? No, prestige. You might be right. I think I'm wrong about that. Yeah, but you're just still. Andy Muzz. Andy Muzzard is, is, is that radical guy. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, No, but even that, I like to think of it as the Chillich racket because whenever you walk into the pro shop, that's the face that's on the racket when they're trying to sell it. So I agree with you there, but I should have just stopped you. If Mrs. Walworth is endorsing the ASIC shoe, we could have just stopped there. And There's your show, <laughs> listeners. I know um, she listens to this podcast too, so I know she'll appreciate that. She's always no. She always gives me her feedback after the show. She's no. she's a loyal fan of the Cracked Rackets media. Oh, I appreciate that, and hello to her. Yes, again, if she's endorsing the ASIC shoe, that's what we're going with moving forward. But those are all of the latest and greatest things being offered by our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, go to tennis-point.com today to find it all. While you're there, make a purchase. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, Said, what Nate and I want to do today is, of course, preview all of the tour-level events happening this week. Again, we have five, three on the men's side. You've got two 500s in Dubai and Acapulco, a 250 in Santiago on the women's side, two 250s, one in Austin, which is hilarious to me because yesterday I was flying back from Los Angeles. I'm finally back in Indianapolis for like two consecutive weeks. It was I woke up in my bed and I was like, huh? I was like, this is a different view, um, but... I flew through Austin on my way home and unaware in the moment that it was the inaugural Austin WTA 250. And I was like, of course, I made it to Austin and I don't get to go see the event. But by the way, Austin Airport, top five experience in terms of airports for me. Really? Yeah, we can talk about that after the show. But I enjoyed the Austin Airport. Um, Anyways, you've got that. Shout out to Peyton Stearns collecting her first WTA tour level win. The second longest match of the WTA calendar year so far, a epic seven six six seven seven six win in her home. It's like her second home. Just yeah, it's rare be- you get a home match on the WTA tour. She gets it, she pulls through. I appreciate that shout out. And again, we want to talk about her. Everything in Austin, everything in Monterey. Again, on the, uh, as you've got those two WTA tour level events happening this week as well. Both of them two fifties. But before we do that, Nate, we're now two months into the season. 
And it was fascinating. I think one of the biggest storylines here of Tuesday, February 28th, was we saw a lot of withdrawals throughout the course of the day. And, you know, again, some of them relating to this week. Not a shock to see Alcaraz, who was injured in his final last week in Rio against Cam Norrie, pull out of that event. Not a shock to see Rio pull out of Acapulco either. Both pulling out of Acapulco, excuse me. Uh, They played two straight weeks, two straight finals, red clay events, a lot of physical matches, I think. Four or five of Cam's matches last week went two hours or longer. Um, not a shock with Indian Wells, Miami on the horizon. Of course, we did learn recently uh, Nick Kyrgios out of Indian Wells, Sebastian Corda out of Indian Wells, Rafael Nadal announcing today he is out of Indian Wells as well. And it's very likely Rafa's going to drop out of the top 10 for the first time. I forget what it is. It's a record like 910 weeks or something like that. And I mean, look, that streak is remarkable. That streak is since 2005. Like, that's a lifetime. You know, his top his uh, his top 10 career can now vote in the United States. It'll be eligible in the 2024 election. That's how long he was in the top 10 consecutively for. It's just a testament to even when he's injured. When Young Gruskin see- was in fourth grade. Yeah, uh, 2005. Fourth grade. Uh, f- fourth grade. Oh five oh six would have been fourth grade for me. I skipped fifth grade. We can get into that a different time as well. Um, but anyway, I think that's a fa- I think I've been over that story on the podcast before. It's been five years. I'm certain that story has come up at some point, um, probably with you. Um, but anyways, let's just start first of all. I I, I do think again. Uh, what is there to analyze on the withdrawal? You're either healthy or you're not. These players aren't healthy. We're not going to see them at Indian Wells. But because we are two months into the season, I thought it would be an interesting conversation. Who are your top five players right now in the men's and women's game? Just looking at it objectively, you're looking at, you know, or subjectively, I should say, you're naming your top five, whether it be results-based, whether it be something you've seen moving forward, whether it be you're confident in their pedigree, the track record, whatever it is. I'm curious what your top fives look like. Let's start on the women's side. I mean, lay it on me, Nate. I'm happy to go first as well, but no, I'll me. go first. I mean, with, on the men's side, it's a little tougher, just like you just said, all those uh, people that are banged up. I mean, you still have to, I mean, carry, I, I guess with curious being hurt and Rafa being hurt, it's, we haven't, we've seen them in minimal action, but uh, on the women's side, it's been a little bit steadier in terms of who's been healthy and performing. So to that point, I just want to say, and that's where this month of February is so fascinating to me. We got to see everyone play in the Middle East. You saw Iga. You saw Sabalenka. You saw the Krejcikovas, Pagulas. You know, everyone but Jabir was in play throughout the course of the month of February. So I do think it's an interesting stock point of like, okay, who are your top five on the women's side? I feel more confident with my women's picks probably just because I've I've seen them all, like you said, besides Ons. So, I mean – I can't go against Iga at number one. I think Iga, she did get routed by uh, Krejcikova, um, which was – Krejcikova is playing just sensational tennis. So, Iga number one, I feel pretty confident saying that she's yeah, the Yeah, Iga's, Iga's losses this month, if memory serves me correct, she lost – or Iga's losses so far this season, she lost to Krejcikova 4-2, and two, who played phenomenal. She yeah. lost to Rabakina 4-4. Four four. Rabakina played phenomenal. She lost to Kula 2-2 two two at United Cup. Those are three of the ten oh, yeah. best players in the world. Like, I don't think any of those are a bad loss for Iga Sviantek. She wins a title, uh, what is it, one, maybe two titles? Uh, no, just the one title in Doha, but final the next week as well. Like, I agree. She still has the benefit of the doubt. She has to be number one. Who's two for you? I'll I'll pick the Aussie Open champion, Sabalenka, at two. I agree. Just the peak was incredible. Yep. And it's not like she played poorly in a three-set loss. Well, not the greatest third set, but she had her chances to win that match in straights over, to your point, a top 10, top five-looking Krejcikova. Yeah, and then I got Kreshikova at number three for me. Interesting. Just, I think, yeah, this her, is where it gets interesting. I just think her, when she's, I mean, she just has so many weapons and just hits the ball so cleanly, can can move forward and knock off the volley to finish points off. I think her doubles game trend, it just helps her um, tremendously in the singles uh, competition, I think. So I got Krejcikova number three. So just quickly to that note, because I agree with you, since the end of the U.S. Open last year, so September 26th was when she played her first event after the U.S. Open. She's 20-5 and five overall, titles in Ostrava, Tallinn, and Dubai. 
Fourth round loss to Pagula at the Australian Open. Obviously, she got the better of Pagula, though, in their semis in Dubai. You just look at, though, who she's beaten during this stretch of time. Two wins over Riga in finals. A win over Sabalenka, a win over Pagula, a win over Benchich, a win over uh, Parks, a win over Haddad Maya, a win over Kostyuk. It's just like they're all good players. It's been a really good stretch for Krejcikova. I agree. I think she has elevated herself up to that number three spot. And I don't think the gap between her and my number four, Jessica Pagula, is big because Pagula has beaten her as well. Pagula hasn't lost before quarterfinals since August of last year at the City Mm -hmm. Open. She is, you know, again, either the top of tier two or the last player in tier one, wherever you want to put it. But that's where Pagula has to sit. I agree with you. I think she's the unequivocal number four. Who's your five? Yeah, so I had Pagula's one. And five is a tough one for me. Um, I mean, I I probably have to go with... I think there Rab- are three candidates. Yeah, I think it's Benchich, Goff, Rabakana. or Rabakana. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Rabakana. I just trust her um, across at least hard court and, and on the grass. Uh, Clay, I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to see what, what she has this year in store. Uh, I just think she's maybe not as athletic on the clay as I think athleticism becomes a bigger... Uh, aspect of the, of the clay court game with just being able to um, maneuver around the court and cover more ground. Uh, I think the athletes like Sakari and golf um, kind of can make up ground and on the clay court, but I, I, I'll take Rabakina just cause I know, I know what I'm getting. I feel like on, on a hard court and on the grass. So I, I, I think, yeah, I think Rabakina has proven that she can win the big matches and definitely is not intimidated by anybody. So um, I'll go her number five and sitting just outside Oh, I might. Can't, mm, that's tough. I guess. That's a, and then after that, I think there's like another. There's a mosh pit of women that are in that next tier down from the five spot. I feel like. I mean, Anjabur is there. She's just not. I just haven't seen her healthy, but she's definitely got. I mean, she would be in there probably if she was healthy for this year. My picks: Benchich, fifteen and three overall. It's who she's yep. beaten this year. She has wins over Kasikina, Hadad Maya, Azarenka, Samsonova. Cooter, uh, excuse me, Garcia in three sets as well. That's true. You know, again, her losses are to Sapolenka, Iga, and then Mukova in week three of the Middle East grind, but she won a title in the Middle East in Abu Dhabi. And so, I, you know, again, I'm not going to hold one loss from her to a player I think is a top 25 player in Mukova. Benchich is also holding over 80% of the time through two months, and she's played 18 matches. That's a legitimate sample size. It's not like through seven matches. No, through 18 matches, she's holding over 80% of the time. I mean, that's elite of the elite power tennis serving. She's playing on her terms. She's moving better than ever. She's my number five. Again, like Goss been really good. She just doesn't quite have the volume of wins that Benchich has. I think you make a really good case for Rabakin and what that peak looks like. But, yeah, I mean, again— I think that's the top five right now. I'd probably go Sviantec, slight drop. Sabalenka, another slight drop. Krejcikova, Pagula, maybe a slight drop after that. And then you get into that Benchic, Goff, Rybakina. You don't have Jabir. you don't have Jabir up there. No, she's just injured, so it's an asterisk. Right. Like right. there are just other players playing better right now. On the men's side, what's your top five? I mean, Djokovic is one. He's undefeated. We can move on. Who's yep. two? I mean, Carlos. I mean, I think Carlos came back. I mean, yeah, he had a tough loss to Cam Nori in a tricky third setter where he was obviously favoring a uh, a, a hamstring sprain or whatever that injury ended up being. But I think, I think Al- Alcaraz kind of claimed that number two spot again quickly, uh, just showing how good he, can, he, he is uh, when he's healthy. I'll take Alcaraz at number two. I think – so it's interesting because – Look, I, it's so funny. You're you know, taking Medvedev. I know. Well, it. do you remember early in his career when Carlos Al- or when Novak Djokovic? It was like, oh, he used to always cramp and he used to get, like have to retire from matches, and he wasn't the superhuman. And then in 2011, the year he was 23, 24 years old, he turned into that superhuman, and he never let it go. It's like yep. you realize we're still three to four years away with that for Alcaraz, like. Literally three to four years away from Alcaraz being that same age that Djokovic was when he became superhuman. And so it's like, I'm not shocked that he still suffers injuries, that he's still not 100% healthy all the time, that he's still growing into his body and, you know, again, physically maturing. That said, 
Man, Medvedev is in his athletic prime. And to do it two weeks in a row, I'm just saying, Nate. Like, come on, he's in he's in ice skating mode. Like, it's unbelievable what Medvedev's been able to do over these past two weeks. Indoor hardcore, he transitions to outdoor hardcore. And look, I know Murray didn't really have a weapon to hurt him with in that final, but boy, was that track meet tennis. And it's just like Medvedev was always a ground stroke better, and he's hitting his return with better depth. He's hitting his forehand more explosively. If he can do it again this week in Dubai, and Medvedev comes in, coming into Dubai the third seed, I mean, he would have to face Djokovic in the semis, Djokovic beating him earlier this year. Medvedev's two losses this year, by the way, to Djokovic and Korda. Like overall this year, he's what now on this win streak? He is uh, 15 and two overall to start the year. Breaking that, serve 40.6 percent of the time. That's that's hit. That's historic. I, you know, that's ridiculous. I, I'd never seen a men's number over 40. Wait, what? Is this, repeat that number again. He's 40.6 percent of the breaking? time. Serve 40.6 percent of the time to start the season. Like his hold percentage is actually down. Like he's only holding 84 percent, which is still a top 25 number, but relative to him. You know, that's about 3% lower than the neighborhood he's been hanging out in over the course of the past four years. But to break serve 40.6% of the time, I mean, I don't care if it's only for two months. That's ridiculous. And, like, I know there have been some cupcakes, but he's played Felix twice, Sinner, Dimitrov. Like, again, real servers, Hatchinov, and, like— He's breaking 40.6%. Korda, Djokovic, he's breaking 40.6% of the time, Nate. That's ridiculous. And I blame myself. I doubted his level. I came on here. I said he is no longer in first place in the Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Zverev conversation. He is. Like, and you look at the live rankings now, he's back up to number seven. Like, that's selling him short. Right now, the ELO ratings have him uh, number two overall. Yearly ELO ratings have him two behind Djokovic. I agree. I think he is the number two player. I think he's going to win Indian Wells. If Djokovic isn't playing, I think he wins Indian Wells. That's my hot take. Even on that slow, high-bouncing surface. No, I I don't think that's that hot anymore. I mean, now, if you would have said this two or three weeks ago, I would have said that's a hot take just because I hadn't seen him stack together the consecutive weeks. But I think he showed that level that he's able to put together consistently. And I think, you know, the Aussie Open in 2022 took a lot out of his sales. It definitely impacted, I think, his confidence. And he just seemed to, like, have less fun and Mm -hmm. play with less creativity and just – he was barking at his box a lot more and didn't seem he lost his composure. Um, something that, that that was one of his biggest weapons was how mentally tough and how well he was. They would just like bounce back when he would get break. He could break right back. And I think he lost a little bit of that swagger. He's gotten that back. He looked super comfortable moving this past couple of weeks. I mean, he had a kid as well. I think when you have a kid, you, you play like, I don't know. I think there's something to have, like that, that sent, something to be said for that as well. Um, but I think like a couple of those shots when he chased like drop shots and just on the backhand wing, especially when he can somehow get his left wrist around and under the ball to flip it cross court, especially with the grip that the shotgun grip that he has on his backhand, that is just the control he has. And then the, the speed and the like flexibility to get down there and, and make a play like that, not just to get it back, but to produce winners is just something that like, he's a freak of nature. So no, I, I like the Medi pick at number two. I, I just wanted to see, like, at a Masters 1000, I guess I just want to see if he had it. But he's proven it. You know, Dubai, Rotterdam, two big titles to take. Uh, Medi's been – like, he just has his swagger back. And I think Medi – I wasn't sure he was going to get it back. Like, that AO open against Rafa took it out of him. I mean, it just seemed like he hadn't recouped that yet. So, I'll go Medi at number three just just because that's how I, my gut told me that originally. At number four – well, just quickly, by the way, ELO ratings for the women's side because we never went over them. Overall, Iga 1, Sabalenka 2, Bencic 3, Jabur 4, Pagula 5. Yearly ELO ratings. And again, ELO measures who you play, how you play them, not what round you play them, what's the level of the event like the WTA rankings do. You know, it's a world tennis number, UTR type system. Yearly ELO, Sabalenka 1. So yearly ELO means just 2023 results. Sabalenka 1, Krejcikova 2, Bencic 3, Sviantec 4, Rabakina 5 on the women's side. You know, again, for the men, you mentioned having uh, – so Medvedev's your 3. <sighs> Who's my 3? Is it Alcaraz? Is it Sinner? For the record, right now you look at the analytics, uh, there are only – 
eight players, excuse me, seven players on the men's side who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage, seven for the women as well. Djokovic is top 10 in both. Medvedev's top 15 in both. Chilich, Alcaraz, Sinner, top 20 in both. Yeah, I'll go Alcaraz three, Sinner four. Like, I do just think they're both so freaking good. And, like, you have to play elite tennis to beat Yannick Sinner. You have to play elite tennis to beat Cam Norrie. And both of those guys struggle with injuries sometimes. Like, both of those guys aren't at their peak physically yet. And yet I have no doubts about their tennis. Sinner, for what it's worth, fifth right now in yearly ELO rating, fourth in overall ELO rating. Yeah, I'd go I'd go Alcaraz three, Sinner four. No, yeah, I think I think Sinner's four, and I think Cam Nori for me is five right now. That's a great pick. That's such a good pick, Nate. And you look over the last fifty-two weeks in terms of just total quarterfinals played. Felix has the most at fifteen. Alcaraz has thirteen. Nori's next with eleven, and he's tied with a bunch of guys: Sinner, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev. But like he's right there, so I think it comes down to Nori versus Tsitsipas. I and, and Felix is just a tier below. Fritz is just a tier below. Yep. But I just feel like again, boy, I, I've watched a lot of Cam Nori over the years, and again, I always like to say he was committed to Michigan. Like, of course, I've known who Cam Nori is for more than a decade. He always moved the bell well around the court, but just physically, the guy is in the elite stratosphere. Like it's Medvedevian in that he's tracking down the extra ball. He recovers so well out of the corners. He's not going to be the one who lets up physically at the end of a match, who bails out of a rally. No. And it's what you'd expect from a guy who's 27 years old. But this is prime Cam Norrie. And, and like, again, he's 27th right now in hold percentage, but he's 7th in break percentage. He just puts – he plays such high percentage tennis. And that's not to say he – I I don't think he has an elite weapon, but I'll tell you what, he moves the ball around the court at an elite level. He moves at an elite level. I mean, I think, I think his, I think he does. His weapon is like versatility, like in variety. Like, I mean, like the fact that like, he takes away what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, he was comfortable against Alcaraz hitting a ball that you don't see anybody backhand shoulder height. Yeah. Yeah. Like hitting that borderline moon ball. I mean, just to, just to throw off the rhythm of a player like Alcaraz, and yeah, like he's he can block. He's 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 comfortable doing everything, blocking the ball back. He's got the slice down. He keeps the ball low. Well, he can spin it high. He can drive the ball pretty well. Not like doesn't have the firepower of like a Alcaraz or a Felix or a Taylor Fritz. But I mean, he moves better than a guy like Fritz. He maneuvers the ball better than a guy like Fritz, and he places the serve ridiculously well even if he doesn't hit as many aces as those top guys his next ball is just just as dangerous as their their second ball so i mean just because he's able to place spot serve so well and just keep you guessing and i yeah i mean cam nori i just continue to be impressed by what he's able to to do on the court city is is a guy that i had close i think he's probably the next guy out for me but i just trust cam nori across all surfaces right now almost as much as anybody yeah city is a little bit more banged up it's really tough. Fritz has been solid. Hercots has been solid. All guys in the mix for this title. Rublev hasn't been bad. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. This is going to be the breakout clip. So here it is, folks. Our current top fives through two months of the 2023 season. These are the crack rackets ELO ratings, folks. Nate, give me your top five women. Top five women? Iga. Sabalenka. Krejcikova, Pagula, Rabakina. All right. I'm going to go Iga, Sabalenka, Krejcikova, Pagula, Benchich for my five spot. Give me your top five for the men. Top five. Got to go Novak Djokovic, no surprise. Carlitos, Alcaraz. Give me Medi at three. Then go... I guess I got to go center, and then I'll go Cam Nori at five. I think I talked you into that center case. I'm going to go Djokovic one, duh. Medvedev two, he's earned it. Alcaraz three, center four. I just think they are that good now. I'm going to go Tsitsipas five. He didn't play great in Rotterdam, but he made the Australian Open final, and he looked really good doing it as well. So I'm going to value his month of January, give him the benefit of the doubt, but Nori's a really good pick. 
No, I, and I almost, I almost went uh, Nori Sitsipas and left center out completely. Uh, but no, I, and I look, and then I look back to the matches that I've seen center drop, and I mean, I, I just have a bad last memory of him getting drilled by Sitsipas. But maybe center was already kind of banged up, and I have to take that into consideration. But Sitsipas, I mean, yeah, he, he put a beating on him. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, well, that's your opening monologue, and again, Nadal, Kyrgios, Korda. Conteve, ton of players unfortunately have pulled out of Indian Wells. That said, it's still going to be the Sunshine Swing. It's still going to be really good. And you know, again, I know we had some withdrawals from this week's events as well. That said, five tour level events on the calendar this week. Plenty of tennis to get excited about. What Nate and I want to do here, we'll go a little quicker through the events than usual, Nate, because we did spend some time on that top five segment. But I want to run you through all five listeners. I want to talk about the tennis abstract projections, of course, for all of the matches. And if something caught your eye already through these first two days of play, Nate, of course, we can talk about that as well. Let's start with the ATP action in Dubai. Why are we starting there? Because it features a world number one. Novak Djokovic back in play, recovered from his hamstring injury. He got pushed in his first matchup. Uh, Three-set win over Thomas Mahak. Uh, Thomas Mahak, excuse me. Uh, seven, six, and the third. Djokovic able to escape that one. Of course, you look right now at the tennis abstract forecast. He is the overwhelming favorite, 37.7%. That said, number two in the draw is Daniil Medvedev who enters the week now and I think is now on a 10-match win streak, 9-match win streak, whatever it is, following his first-round win over Matteo Arnaldi. Of course, you look for Medvedev. He's coming in, having won titles back-to-back weeks in Rotterdam, in Doha last week. Now uh, he's here in Dubai as the number three seed, uh, of course, that would be the potential semifinal matchup on the top half of the draw. On the bottom half, you have number two seeded Andre Rublev was down an early break, but ultimately five and two. He looked really good by the end in his first round win over Krajinovic. He's got a 10.2% chance, according to Tennis Abstract, of winning the event at four, uh, 14.4%. Is fourth seeded Felix Ogier Aliassime FAA through to round number two. He got pushed, but ultimately a three set win over Max Cressy, who I thought played really well in his first round match. That said, again, to recap, your top four seeds, Djokovic, Rublev, Medvedev, FAA. You've also got Zverev in the draw, Chorich in the draw, Hercots in the draw. Shout out to 2017. Uh, with all that in mind, Nate Dog, who you watch most closely? What's your final? What's your prediction? Who wins? So that first round, I had a lot of fun watching Zverev battle Lehechka. I did not see him pulling that match out before that started. I just thought he was still a little bit um, just finding his form still. Lehechka was obviously playing great tennis. Um, but wow, Zverev's movement is back, chasing down some drop shots. It looks like he's fully trusting his movement. You can't see him favoring his leg at all. And I think he's playing with that fire again. He found the backhand passing shot a couple of times. That is just vintage Zverev, one of the best backhands on the run in tennis. Uh, and I think tennis is just better when Zverev is a threat at these top events. And I think when he's a contender, I think it just makes for more exciting matchups and better rivalries. So I was watching for Zverev. He looks. Are you on the Lehechka bandwagon now, by the way? Oh, for sure. The yeah. Yuri Lehechka is legit. Man. His, he moves the ball. I mean, first of all, his backhand's gotten better. Like his backhand yeah. is not a weakness anymore. I like. So the reason I say that is to your point, Zverev did play really well. He's he still not moving great, but he was striking the ball so much more purely the on the run backhand down the line pass he hit. That was vintage Alex Zverev. But, like, again, he's still, I would say, a full step slow. It's not a step and a half anymore. Yeah. It's still a step. Yeah. He's just not recovering well out of the corners. That said, oh, he was but driving he the backhand. He's running loud. Like, he's not as light on his feet right now. It sounds like he's like. You're so right. That's really well loud. put. Yeah, he's just he's stepping hard into his corners. It's because he doesn't trust the ankle. Like he used to slide, yeah. redirect. He's not doing that right now. That no, would be not. my assumption. That's true. No, he's just. It doesn't look as. Uh, he's fluid. not nimble right now. He's yeah. not fluid. No, he's not fluid. He, he he looks like he's. He doesn't look like he's like trying to like slow like not go as, like he's going hard. It no, it's robotic. As, it's robotic. Yeah, it's robotic. Exactly. There, there's not the nimbleness that you're used to seeing with a six foot six. Yeah. But the um, robot is better. You're right. Now he now it's so interesting that you said six foot six because now he is playing like a guy who's six foot six, and that wasn't right. the case when he was at you know again he was this fluid athlete who also could 
smack the ball because he is six foot six. And now you have to see him rely on his weapons more than that movement. You're absolutely right. That said, the weapons are returning. That's enough of a zero of rant, though, because um, that's about all the time I want to spend on him. Um, again, but who are you watching most closely? I'm what I mean. I'm watching for Bublik Medvedev. I mean, come on, what Bublik has been? I, I know Bublik had complained about like just how hard tennis is, but I mean, he was on like a nine match win streak before uh, a couple weeks ago when he made a semi. Yeah, I mean, he's just play. He just plays a style of play that can beat almost anybody on the tour. I mean, when he's playing well, serving as big as he does. He just has the the balls to hit any shot at any moment and throw guys off. I mean, he was down a match point against Grigor, and he hits a freaking crazy drop shot. Like, I just think that'll be a fun matchup. But I think Novak versus Medvedev on a hard court, a matchup that we've always had fun watching on. That, that'll be a quarterfinal matchup. Uh, I think Novak will eventually come through and make it to the semis. I'll take Novak out of the top. And I like Felix coming out of the bottom he's just steadily put together like better matches and he's not playing Medvedev again for the second straight uh, week where he's third straight you said what third straight third straight yeah correct no he's lost him twice already so yeah yeah, yeah. and I think it was straights both times so not a good he was happy to see Medvedev on the top half of this draw so give me Felix I think this draw is pretty that's a it should be a pretty comfortable draw for him in my opinion Catching Sonego and then a Zvera that's not in form potentially, and I think he matches up well with Rublev. So a a Rublev or a uh, what am I saying? A Novak versus Felix final could be fun, and I think Novak um, takes the title home in in Dubai. This is a really good draw. Outdoor slow hard court in Dubai. You know who's going to thrive on that? Michael Emer, who just you cannot get a ball by. And, True. you know, Hubi beat him last week in three sets. I was on the call for that match with our dear friend Gil Gross. That was crazy. It was not the great. It was just played at Emer's speed. He just mucks it up. He makes you work. He's going to extend around. He had, he had well, that match. Him and Botick is going two and a half hours. Just lock that in right now. Like, that is just going to be a grind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all the matches are good. You like serves and forehands? Senego FA for you. You like athleticism? How about Rublev versus Davidovich Fokina? You know, this is a perfect matchup for Davidovich Fokina. When you get to dictate and he just gets to improvise, like, this is where he shines at times. Uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated for that one. You know, again... Kokonakis Chorich, shout out to 2015, like when these two guys who were both 96s were teenagers who you thought, okay, this is the future top 25, and like Kokonakis looked great in his first round win over Elise. Um, that's a short a t- hair. Yeah, it's a t- yeah, exactly. That's a tough matchup for Chorich, but who has the most aces over the last 52 weeks on the ATP tour, Nate? Oh, it's. I guess it's not Isner. Um, it's not Isner. You are correct. It would it would be curious if he was healthy. I'll say it's most aces. It's is it Felix? It's Hubi Hercots. Go get a win, Hubi. Go beat Djokovic. And by the way, Greek sports like fourteen and three or something crazy this year. That's going to be a physical battle. Uh, and right now, actually, right now you look for talent Greek sport twelve and three this year. And I feel funny sharing this, but I know he won't mind. I was talking to Gil Gross about Greek Spore and um, and Benjamin Bonzi because Bonzi obviously had a great week last week making a final where he lost to Hubi Hercats and you know Greek Spore's twelve and three. He beat Bonzi in the final in, in India in the first week of the season, and it was like, oh, you know, we were talking about how both guys had had really good years. Twenty twenty one at the Challenger Circuit, Greek Spore won eight Challenger titles, Bonzi won six. They've both taken it into the top fifty since. And then both Gil and I look at each other, you know, you know, I like Greek sport a little bit better, like in comparison to Bonzi. And he goes, you know, what? like at the same time, he goes, you know, I like Greek sport a little bit better. And it was just it was really funny that we felt the same way in the dichotomy between those two. But anyways, like I want to who had that his serve is ridiculous. And he sir, he might be the best volleyer in the top 100 right now on the men's well, side. Like he drives his volley so yeah. well. He can hit the short volley, uses his length well. He can also grind and play defense. And the problem is the forehand goes astray. And on the right days, he can hit the forehand on the rise as an approach shot. On the wrong days, it, it misses. Like, I don't know. Just go beat someone, Hubi. I want to see a big yeah. week for Hubi Hercot this week. Back up what he did last week. The forehand contact is just—it's too vertical almost. It doesn't—he doesn't drive through the ball and use. It's shoulders. a little eastern. It's a little yeah. eastern grip. It's old school. 
Yep. He, he, the backhand, he steps in, he'll throw his shoulders over the ball. He'll, he'll kind of throw some chest weight at the ball. And the forehand is just a little too flippy. It doesn't look like it's ever really getting up on somebody's body quickly. It looks like it just kind of sits there. Um, but he, I mean, he, he can absorb pace and redirect. He just can't hit that finishing ball off that forehand wing with any consistency, in my opinion. But I really do want to see Hercotch win. I mean, he's just a fun guy to root for. He's just he's a goofy guy. He, he acts like a uh, my roommates uh, went to academy with him growing up in, in Poland together, and he just has like this childish demeanor about him that like he just he doesn't he doesn't like to feel the pressure. He doesn't, Very he doesn't innocent. Want to make, yeah, he's innocent. He doesn't want to make like tennis bigger than it is. He just wants to keep it as like a fun hobby that it just has like this uh, aloofness or something about him that is just kind of funny to watch. Fair. Um, all right. You said you're taking Djokovic over Felix. Yep. Where am I going to go with this week? I really you're like crazy. how Rublev looked in set number two. I'll take Rublev through. Do I just put my money where my mouth is and say Hoopy goes and gets a win? No, I'll take Djokovic over Rublev. I'll be very boring with my pick in Dubai. I'll make up for it, I promise, here in other events moving forward. With that said, let's move to said other events. Let's go to the women's side now and talk about Austin and Monterey. Let's start with that inaugural event in Austin. And shout out to Texas. Obviously, the University of Texas has won back-to-back women's championships. I'm sure they played some role in helping to get this WTA 250 event into the city. Of course, Dallas now has an ATP 250 event as well. And, you know, Fort Worth hosted the WTA finals last year. Texas tennis is back. And it's a good thing for the United States when Texas tennis is back. So shout out to the powers that be in Texas uh, for making all this happen. And it's a solid field when you look at the field in Austin here this week. Top seed Magda Lynette, who is not the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That belongs to fourth-seeded Danielle Collins. Collins, a 27.5% favorite uh, entering the event. Now, of course, you had a withdrawal from the original number two seed. She's been replaced by Erica Andreva, the lucky loser in the draw. But look, you've got third-seeded Anastasia Potapova, fourth-seeded Collins. You've got players like Marta Kostyuk, Sloane Stevens, uh, all lingering in the draw as well. That said, there are a lot of interesting Americans to point to, a lot of different storylines one could turn to, Nate, when looking at this WTA Austin event, including, of course, that win from Peyton Stern, 7-6-6-7-7-6 over Katie Bolter in round number one. Where do you want to go, Nate? What are you thinking? What intrigues you most? Uh, I didn't realize Lynette had already lost in the third center today. She lose today? Yeah. Wow, I'm going to have to watch that one, give you my thoughts later. Gracheva beater. It's so funny, James Hopper, who... One most outstanding player for the D3 National Indoor. Shout out to our guy at Case. Back-to-back titles for them. He was Grachev, or he was the biggest hitting partner at the WTA Cleveland event last summer, and he was talking about the players who stood out. And he was like, "Well, Samsonova's a joke. Like she hits a bigger ball than I do. It's crazy." Um, and then he's like, "And then honestly, Gracheva. He was like, "I really liked Gracheva's game. Like she kept the ball low. She kept it with depth. So it's interesting. Interesting to that's, see that's her a again. Good, he's the whisperer. Cool, that's a cool story. James Hopper, whisperer." He's going to be heading to Virginia, so that's, that's true. Step up. Um, so that this draw is a fun one. Obviously, I, I have some uh, bias. Just Peyton Stearns having her as a five-one-three kid, um, watching her through her collegiate career and getting her first win yesterday was pretty cool. Stayed up late for that one, and just you could tell that it meant a lot to her. She was nervous. Served it out. Had a chance to serve it out a few times. Um, couldn't get it done. Eventually, had to go to a breaker and fought off her nerves and just hits the ball so clean. So, I mean, her forehand is massive. And when she finds – like, I think if her serve, if she can find another gear with her serve, she'll be, a like, a top 60, top 70 player soon. But the serve is where she needs to kind of add some add some MPH, add some uh, – just some consistency and uh, just seems to kind of come and go a little bit as the moment gets bigger. But Stearns was impressive. I'm looking to watch her again as in a winnable match against Shapovalov's girlfriend, I believe, Bjorklund. Um, I'm also looking for – it's going to be a fun one. It was Townsend got a really Steven. good win, by the way. Bjorklund, a really good win over Alicia Parks, who, you know, again, will have to prove it. Top 50 player now, all that success, indoor hard courts. How does that game translate outside? Uh, I think it'll be fine. She's got real weapons. She's comfortable moving forward. It's not as though she got blown off the court. It was a 6-4 loss in the third. But, again – Got to see it. She's certainly one everyone's going to be watching during this sunshine swing. Is Danielle Collins the favorite to win this event now? 
she is 27.5%. Was yeah. beforehand as well. I'm looking for her to win this title, kind of reinstate herself as one of the top players. I felt like she had had built up um, and had a really solid end of the year last year and seemed to have lost some of that momentum. So I think if she can regain that momentum, it's just tennis is better with Daniel Collins being a force. So with her intensity and tenacity and just she just she's just like I'd be intimidated to be on the other side of the net of Daniel Collins. Um, could be a fun matchup with with Katie McNally in the second round if they both move on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking for Daniel Collins out of the bottom half of this draw. The up the top half of this is it's it, it's a coin flip. Um, I guess Potapova is the girl I think is the would be the my favorite to come out of the top. A Potapova Daniel Collins final in a 250 event would be a spicy matchup though. And I Potapova. Potapova's quietly had a really solid start to her year, and obviously she wins the title in Linz a couple of weeks ago. I thought. Uh, played pretty solid in qualifying. She's got some brutal draws in Australia. I don't hate that pick, especially on those gritty courts in Austin. I mean, look, do you like power tennis? If you do, Ashlyn Kruger versus Katie McNally is the first-round matchup for you. And they're just, again, Kruger, McNally. You have Robin Montgomery, another American teenager. One of those players is going to be a staple in the top 50. And I think it's, you know, again, maybe multiple, maybe all of them. Um they're all playing wonderful tennis, but when I look at this bottom half of the draw, I want to go see Marta Kostyuk. Go, go win a go go on a run here. Why isn't Marta Kostyuk the best player in this draw right now? You know, the twenty-year-old, fifty-two in the world. You look at what she's done so far to start this season: ten and six overall. But the losses, you know, to Jabir in the quarterfinals in Adelaide, Pagula in Australia, you know, Bianca Andreescu and Huahin, Benchic twice in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. You know, none of those players are walking through the door this week in Austin. And you mentioned Lynette already knocked out. And look, Danielle Collins is really good on an indoor hard court. She has weapons that are going to make you work. But I think Kostya is a tier one talent. I think she's that sort of athlete. And it's been a while since we've seen her put together. And in fact, I don't think Marta Kostyuk has won a WTA Tour title in her career thus far. In fact, she hasn't made a final yet. She's too good for that to be the case. Only yeah. 20 years old, but I think this is the week. So I'm watching for Marta Kostyuk this week. She had an impressive performance against Benchich last week. This is actually the perf- – this is the pick. You know how I said last week I was putting the reputation on on, uh, on McNally? Yep. I'm not You're right. That was a hell of a call, by the way. It's rare, but every so often you come through. I'm not putting the reputation on Kostyuk, but I feel pretty good about this one, Nate. I think this is the week where she has a big week. I think she makes the final – you know what? No, she's going to win it, and she's going to knock out. Man, Taylor Townsend's playing good ball, indoor hardcourt. Her variety is just going to make everyone work. I like Katie Volley nuts as well, by the way. Just makes you is move in. This, a, this event is indoors? Be, I think so. No, no, no. It's outdoors. Yeah. Um, did I say indoors? I apologize. I meant outdoors. Um, man. I'll go Kostyuk over Potapova as well. But I think that's I think it's going to be a fun week of tennis in Austin. So just again, keep that eye on that inaugural event in the two uh, two fifty, and of course, shout out again to the powers that be bringing uh, professional tennis and lots of it over to the state of Texas. Let's move over though now to Monterey on the WTA side of things again. Another two fifty top seed Caroline Garcia in action there. The world number five is going to kick off her week against Kaya Yuvan in the round of thirty two. Of course, second seed in Marie Boshkova already knocked out. She lost 4-2 to Anna Karolina Schmidlova, who has played some pretty good ball to start this season. You look for Schmidlova, I believe, at the Australian Open. Yeah, qualifies and then got the good win over Trevisan before getting knocked out by Georgie in the second round. So good win for Schmidlova. Of course, some other interesting players here in the draw. Fifth seed, Ju Lin. She's looking to capitalize on what was maybe the breakout first six weeks of the season. We've got Donna Vekic, one of seven players who ranks top 25 in both hold and break percentage right now. Katarina Sinyakova, Kochiaretto, Mertens, and Maya Sharif, your seeds at the event. Garcia, according to Tennis Abstract, 23.8% favorite, then Vekic, 11.4%. Mertens, 10.1%. Nate Dog, what you watching for most closely? Who you got this week? Vekic is uh, so she was da- she she got a retirement. She was down two six, which was a five zero. Donna Vekic, I like her a lot. I just think she has, I mean, she's just a consistent ball striker, hits the ball big, uh, knows what she wants to do on the court with Plan A. I think she finds her A game out here. 
she's going to, I think I'll have her as my favorite out of the bottom half. Um, but I'm also happy to see Emma Navarro as a wild card entry against Jean Jean in the first round. Two former college players, of course, Emma Navarro, former NCAA champion for Virginia. I'm blanking on where Jean Jean played. I want to say Arizona State, but I don't think that's right. But carry on. No, last time I saw Navarro play, I think she took out Peyton Stearns like one and one at NCAAs last year. It was something crazy. It was a quick match. I played at Baylor in Arkansas. Sorry, carry on. Nice. Um, I did not. I did not know she was a college player. Yeah. But no, excited to see Navarro back in a draw. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen her. Um, and maybe she just hasn't played that many tour events. Maybe she's been on ITFs. But cool to see another college girl in the in the draw. Camelia Georgie coming off a title. Thought she looked really good last week. Uh, if she has the legs to kind of continue on, her versus Mertens in the second round. That's a spicy matchup. Um, and I think. Garcia, I mean, that's a fair, favorable draw for Garcia to kind of get herself back uh, into where she was, especially coming off that title off the Western and Southern. I thought she would kind of uh, assert herself as a dominant hardcore player, and I think she uh, could very well get back on the right side of things this week. Um, so give me Garcia. I think she will. She should – actually, that's a tough draw. Diaz is a, not an easy matchup, but I think she'll move on to the final out of the top half. And give me Donna Vekic from the bottom half. I take Vekic, the Womo Sport or Donna Sport uh, athlete, taking the title in Alberto. I like it. All right, you, you know, you mentioned Emma Navarro. She has made nine quarterfinals and five different finals over the course of the last fifty-two weeks, thirty-seven and nineteen overall. But to your point, all of that one hundred twenty-five k or lower level, and you know, sixty k's, twenty-five k's. She is the one thirty-four in the world right now. Her serve, her forehand are real. Like, again, she is one to watch this week. I completely agree with you. In Monterey can absolutely and should win that first-run match, in my opinion, against Jean Jean. Um, look, we saw Diana Schneider, obviously the NC State standout freshman, top 100 player. She lost her first-run match to Elisa Mertens, 0-4. She was playing in Columbus on Wednesday. Always a tough transition. Who She, she goes from playing Irina Contos to Elisa Mertens. How about that for a transition? Actually, that's interesting. Um, you didn't play Sydney Ratliff? I think Ratliff played two in that match. Okay. Because I, I knew one of those girls had a good match. I was watching some of them. I think you guys yeah, put some highlights. I don't remember. Contos might have played one outdoors. I don't remember who played one indoors. She played one against A&M. Contos did. I don't remember if she played one. A lot of matches in my head right now. You got Yeah. yeah I, it's, I don't it's, it's overload. Um. Anyways. Sinyakova is always dangerous on these slow high bouncers because she's going to get in and put you under pressure. <sighs> Vekic is a good pick. Um, oh, by the way, Caroline Dalla, 1-0 over Niemeyer. How about that win for the American who's just hovered in that 108 to 212 range in the rankings? Huh. I'm going to go a wacky Mertens week. I think Mertens beats Garcia in the semis. And then beats Fekic in the final. I'm going to go, this is the Elisa Mertens week. Give me Mertens to win the title. I don't feel great about it, but I'll go with that uh, for my result in Monterey. Again, the favorite, Caroline Garcia, who, with a title this week, can elevate herself back up to the number four spot in the rankings, which would match her career high. That's all of your double WTA action. Let's move back now to the ATP side. Again, two more events for us to discuss here, Nate. I won't keep you for too much longer, but let's talk about Acapulco. Uh, obviously, the big news, top seed Carlos Alcaraz out of the draw. You also had, I believe, third-seeded or fifth-seeded Cam Nori out of the draw as well. They were on back-to-back week grinds in uh, South America on the clay courts, made finals back-to-back weeks. You can understand their decisions. You also already had some fun matches, fun results. Three-set win for Fritz over Isner. Three-set win for Runa over Shelta, uh, Shelton. I believe three-set win uh, for Rude over Androsi as well. So all the seeds are getting tested. Those are your seeds, though, and as of right now, your favorite to win the event is Holger Runa, 22.9%. Fritz at 17 Rude at 11.5, Tiafo at 10%, Tommy Paul 10.9, and you've got so many Americans in this draw. Nakashima, Mackey, Michael Moe got a good win over Marcos Giron already. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Tiafo. I mentioned, uh, oh, J.J. Wolf, tough loss for him to Taro Daniel in round number one, but still a lot of good tennis yeah, in Acapulco. 
What are you watching most? Who you got this week? 41-year-old Feliciano Lopez with his first tour win since, what, like four years ago, it feels like. That, that, that one was plus 400 before that match started, and I, was, I looked at it way too many times but decided against it. Uh, took out Chris Eubanks. I can't believe that guy's still playing tennis at a level he can win at a match at a 500 event. Um, no, I'm, I think, I mean, this draw just opened up drastically with Cam Norrie and Alcaraz dropping out. Um, Tommy Paul has a great draw in the top half of this now uh, with a Mamo and then either McDonald or Nakashima in the next round. I think he has a great chance to win, I believe, his biggest title of his career. I think he won, he's won Stockholm, which was, I believe, a 250 event. So I think Paul could – this could be a great chance for Tommy Paul to win his biggest event to date. Um, obviously, Fritz – he'll have to take out Fritz in the uh, quarters. But um, Fritz continues to look solid. He's Shapovalov in the second round, uh, a matchup that he has not fared well against. I believe he's uh, – I don't know for sure. I think he's one in three against Shapovalov. I know Shapovalov has a winning record against him, so that should be a fun second-round matchup there. Um Holger came through in a fun matchup against Shelton. That first set was extremely high level. He just wore down Shelton from the baseline over the long haul, just kind of dared Shelton to just tee off on winners and tested his backhand and tested his mobility. And uh, Holger's just so steady. And um, just, I, I really think, Hol- I mean, that was, I mean, Shelton was playing very well and Holger was not rattled at all by the firepower and, um, dropping that first set after having set points, bounce back nicely. I think Holger has a has a, a great shot at coming out. Uh, I would love to see him play Berrettini in that round of 16 matchup. Um, Another name, too, I forgot to mention, unseated this week. Yeah. Berrettini's looking – he's another guy looking to find his rhythm. Casper uh, Rude, that might have been the worst I've ever seen him play. Uh, pulled out a win, but he did not look good, so – Looks like he could be susceptible. Uh, Demonar has been playing very well. That could be a, a fun matchup in the third round. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, this draw from the bottom, hard for me to go against Holger uh, with just the level he's shown. Uh, just the forehand is caught up with the backhand. I feel like he looks he looks dangerous off that wing now. Like you've, you've said for a while now, the backhand on the run is – he's it's up there with the Zverevs and the Novaks. I mean, he punctures through that ball so well, and he controls it like – ridiculously well. I mean, he can drive it down the line. He can curl it cross court, short angle. He can flick it over your head. I think Holger's playing very well and he's added some juice to the serve. So I'll take Holger on the bottom half of this draw and out of the top. Fritz is, if Fritz gets through Shapovalov, I'll take him, but I think that's a tough match. I can't believe that's a round of 16 match. And this is the week like demon Shapo go do something. Like, when was the last time you said Demons played well? I don't know if that's true. Like, he's been fine, but it's just like, okay. That Grigor match, match was high level in Rotterdam. Yeah, but he's got to win it. Like, go win yeah. something. It's just that's like, fair. again, Chapo, the continued inconsistency. We know what it can look like when it's good. It's just got to be more consistent and, like, go beat Fritz right now. Go hit him off the court. Like, yep. absorb his pace, redirect it, dictate on your terms with your serve. You can match his weapons. Go prove it. If you're He's a better demon, athlete than Fritz, too. If you're like, demon, like, again, are you scared of Holger Runa? Like, Casper Ruud? Like, like, they don't have the overwhelming weapons. I know Berrettini doesn't. Again, that he's unseated is freaking crazy. But, like, I think that's who I'm watching most this week. I need to see Shapo or Demon make a move. It's just time. Yep. No, that's fair. Shapovalov is the guy for me that needs to make that move just because he had like Demon is like that's asking him like when he makes when he wins three rounds it's like that's all I expect out of Demon. Well, I don't so expect- so is that all you expect? You're saying that's the ceiling. That's, that's it. all like, I expect. I, I, we've seen he's been who he he's been who he was for the last four or five years. Like that's who he is. Okay, but he just turned twenty four. Like so, this is what I'm saying. It's like he's not going to hit a growth spurt. Yeah, but it's yes, you're not wrong. And he's um, not going to get faster. What what is he going to do? Okay, but hit the serve bigger. Go after the plus one forehand, like with more consistency. I think Demon's a good volleyer. He's a twitchy athlete. Like, why can't he hit the ball bigger? He's he weighs like a buck forty five, dripping wet. <laughs> Again, I just want to see it. Or it's maybe this is the ceiling. Is he'll be ranked from twelve to twenty five for the next decade, which is great. But that's the ceiling. If you're putting the pressure on anybody, I think it's got to be Shapovalov and Berrettini this week. The guys that have the weapons and have proven that they could do it, 
um, in previous years or tournaments. And I think Berrettini is a guy that needs to like, like, yeah, I think he, ever since he had the, the COVID where he was took, took out of Wimbledon, it seemed like it kind of took some wind out of his sails, like where he had that belief in himself and he's still fighting to get that back. Um, and Shapovalov just has to, he has to string it together and he hasn't been able to do that uh, for a while now, or he's been able to, and he, and he should be a top 15 player, top 12 player. I'll say this. If he's not, it's going to be an All-American semifinal because Tiafo Fritz could play in the quarters. The winner of that could play Tommy or Nakashima, maybe even Mo Mackey in the semis. Like, there's one, two, three, four, five, six Americans left in the top half of the draw where I think there's only, like, nine players still alive in that top half, and six of them are Americans. It's like, yeah. it should be an All-American semifinal. Tommy looks shaky. That second set, Gomez, Gomez missed about five overheads to finish sure. that second set off. Well, he should have had that. Gomez is on the run forehand, might be the second best behind RBAs in all of tennis. And Nadal is a different category. Um, Yeah, Berrettini needs it this week. And yet, man, that bottom half of the draw is just unsatisfying. I mean, if you pick Berrettini, you got two shots at it, right? Because his brother's in the draw, too. (laughs) Uh, I'll go Tiafo versus. Make a move, Demon. I'll go Tiafo Demon. I'll take Tiafo to win the title in Acapulco. No way Demon makes the final. We'll see. We no way. If he, man, you get, you're getting cocky after that Katie McNally pick. I said I had to get spicier after the 1-2 in Dubai, so that was a little spicier. Tiafo Demon, not what you expected going into Muzz, Muzz almost made me look good last week with that run. He came darn close. All right, Santiago this week, the final week of the South American clay court stretch. Top seed Lorenzo Musetti uh, looking to... Bounce back. He hasn't had the greatest clay court start uh, to his season. You've got third, uh, second-seeded Francisco Sarundolo, Baez, Schwartzman, who's probably going to face two of the hottest players during the stretch in Juan Pablo Varias and Nicolas Iari. That's a tough first-round matchup. Team versus Garin, a first-round matchup. Ramos already knocked out by Montiero. Again, it's the who's who's. This is the Super Bowl. This is it. The Santiago draws got uh, Santiago draws got everyone who's been grinding. Throughout the course of the past month here, all the survivors of the South American clay court stretch, finalist, titleist, all the above, Nate Dog, who you got? Your boy Ramos Vanolas is going to leave the uh, South American swing without a uh, clay court title, I have to tell you. Devastating. I can't believe it. It's it, death <laughs> taxes and that. Is he leaving the top 60 now? Is he? Will he be out of there? I will look that up. Ramos Vanolas currently sitting in the live rankings number 50. Now, whew, we're good. So, I, I mean, this looks like the title for Sarandolo to take home. I mean, or Baez. That's a tough – Baez and him being on the same half of the draws. Um, I, I expect Baez – oh, Garen versus team is a fun first-round matchup. Teams, team and Schwartzman are washed. And they, until they prove otherwise, both those guys are – they're good for nothing right now. I don't know what those guys are, are doing right now. Both of them have not been able to find their game for forever. The fact that Babylon is still pushing Dominic team as the face of a racket line franchise in 2023 and 2024 is beyond me. That's not a decision that I'd, yeah, but that's just for another day. Um, give me Baez against Sarandolo in the bottom half. Got to have that matchup in this draw. I think Kachinato takes out Mosetti. Give me, am I, is it Kachinato? Chechinato? Chechinato. Yeah, Chechinato. Yeah, give, give me sure. him to the final. The former Roland Garros semifinalist, I believe, like three or four years ago, he goes to the final. He plays, ooh, he plays Sarandolo over. Yeah, I'll take Sarandolo over Baez. He plays Sarandolo, and Sarandolo, the Argentinian, takes home the hardware for me. It's a good pick. It's it's tough to go against it. I will go Musetti. Francisco Sarandolo. What about my boy Yannick Hanfman? I think he could have a big week. Hanfman gets to the semis, loses to Musetti. Baez wins the title over Musetti. Uh, No, Musetti wins the title over Baez. Oh. Is Musetti, is this his best surface? I think so. And right now, Musetti, 17.8% chance of winning it on Tennis Abstract. Sarundolo, 13-5. Schwartzman, 13-5. Baez, 11-3. Yeah, I'm going Musetti over Baez. If you guys guys are into sports gambling, bet on Jerry over Schwartzman, or at least take the over. His serve is something, isn't it? Dude. It's massive. Bombs away, baby. It's literally just like, all right, it's time for me to hit. 
Um, so that's what I'm going to do. No, it's it's really impressive. And yeah, again, five tour level events this week. That's going to be another jam for all of us tennis fans. With all that in mind, Nate Dog, that's everything I got for you. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? I'm out of breath, bro. I got nothing yeah, left. I like to hear it. Well, then a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an ending job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. Shout out to Nate and our friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic Nate Walrath, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break, baby. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks as always, Nate. No problem. Always have fun.